So it should hardly come as a surprise to to any of us that uh, from time to time our minds get captured by greed, craving for something, aversion, ill will, delusion, just not quite, you know, getting the point or looking in the wrong direction, barking up the wrong tree. Barking up a tree at all, in fact. Taking a stand on something, feeling this is this is right, this is true, this is the only way, this kind of thing. And delusion is the hardest one to shift <clears throat> because it is deluding. And we don't know it. Greed, you generally feel that kind of sticky passion or urge, images come into the mind. Aversion, you feel that kind of sourness or bitterness or withdrawing delusion just it's kind of something's, something's wrong with something else you know I haven't got what I need or I've got what I don't want or this kind of thing goes on and uh, you know I think all of us can imagine indeed the um, ways which things Unpleasant things could be taken away from us, and pleasant things given to us. This is kind of what sangsara is about. What uh, people do is generally spend the time taking away the unpleasant things in their lives, or attempting to do so, and adding the pleasant things. You know, the security, the um, health, so forth. This is what we do. Um, so we're doing that, and yeah. And yet we do recognize that uh, the degree to which any, each and every one of us has, has done that, we have not arrived at a state of feeling satisfied, blissful, at ease, peaceful, you know, mind radiant. Still feel restless, agitated, disappointed and needy one way or another. So though of course all our Needs and interests are indeed justifiable in their own in their own way. Um, as a dumber practitioners, we kind of check that. So it's only relatively so, you know. And you really want to go deeper to not so much to changing the world and the input around us, but changing the way we relate to it, the way we experience it, where we experience the painful, the uncomfortable, the frustrating, the disappointing, the way we experience the desirable, uh, the worthy, the wishful things we wish we should have or could have by now, the way we experience those phenomena as they arise in our minds, where they immediately pull us into these patterns of um, craving, greed, longing, yearning, ambition, aversion, jealousy, bitterness, grudges, soundness of the heart. If they do, then we've not completed our practice. And because, you know, clearly in this uh, world of sense forms and, and all the rest of it, this stuff is flying around. There's always a something desirable, something undesirable. So the heart is never going to get free. If it can only get free by not 
picking those up by not being pulled into these these patterns. Yeah. And in a way, uh, a summoner's life kind of puts you on the line because there's all kind of things that you're not having that many people could have or should have or will have. Comforts, uh, entertainments, uh, relationships, and whatever, you know, whatever you want to put in there. So you're really actually saying, come on, bring it on. Let's bring the greed on. <laughs> I want to see this one. <laughs> Let's bring the 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 desire on. I want to actually come to terms with this. Yeah. Plenty of things. And then there's things we that also we we face up to that the painfulness of sitting still. The things that uh having to follow routines, which we're not automatons, we're not robots, we're not clocks, we're organic beings. We don't do routines, you know. <laughs> You know, the, the patterns, we're kind of much more flowing that. So you put it into this thing, look at it now, see what that brings up, the aversion or the ill will. The disappointment. Or then, of course, living with other people. The restrictions and living with other people, which uh, obviously, you know, uh, people get on in ones and twos. Mostly that's, that's the human thing. Ones and twos, family, strong bond, work relationships where you get on with each other for part of the time, then you go home. Okay, you're fine, we're working together, fine, then I go home. Okay, you know, or you choose someone you really like a lot and you get to be with them. Here we don't. With each other all the time. People we haven't thought, well, I really want to be with him. He's great, or her. So, yeah, you know. So generally, you know, one kind of adopts this thing of just, well, it's okay. It's okay, you know. Because obviously we choose this and we do want to to um, learn to, to be broader than just our personal preferences and resistances. So, Sadhu, this is wonderful. And yet we have to make that journey. You can't wish it, you've got to make that journey through the territory of desire and ill will. And these are not lovely things to see or, or accept in oneself. Particularly in this particular you know, form of realization nirvana, these are, these are considered powerful enemies, corrosions, poisons, fires, I don't want to know that. Certainly, you know, in, as our basis of our practice, we do intentionally establish and re- recollect places where we are comfortable, benevolent, uh, feeling happy. You know, coming into your own body, finding those places where you can just be gentle and quiet in yourself and feel comfortable and satisfied. And this is really has to be our foundation, doesn't it? Feeling the joy of the life the gratefulness for the opportunity, the beauty of, of calm and quiet, the loveliness of these incredible places that we live in, you know, amazing places, and the tremendous goodwill of the vast lay community who offer to support us. You know, these are things to constantly 
bear in mind and then taking that into your own embodiment feeling what good fortune one has and one is relatively healthy degree to which one's health is there one's sanity, one's energy so this is, you know building that up something that um, is the basis and then we come to these places where we do feel that the dissonance is occurring you know, the retractions or the compression, feeling holding back, putting up with, bearing with, kind of pushing yourself into, got to go to another one of those, okay, yeah, I'll do it. Got to go to another meeting, okay, yeah, I'll do it, you know, that kind of, hmm, hmm. And yeah, sure, I guess we can all do that. Uh, not really good enough, though, for Nirvana. It's good enough to be a reasonable person, Now, does it do we have to love these things and feel excited and, about them? But can we just recognize, start to uncover the places where we feel ill will, disappointment, having to put up with, having to bear with, don't really want to do it, but it's supposed to do it for the form or the monastery or the Ajahn or something like that. Okay, you know, wow, let's look at, you know, I, I have that, I have that. I don't necessarily look into it. That's what's what's happening. I have those things of feeling wow, really nice if I could only yada yada, you know, fantasy. I think I had that from pretty much day day one or day three in entering a monastery. Pretty much the first thing I want to do is get out of it. <laughs> Didn't take long at all. <laughs> I had this idea of a little hut somewhere off in the countryside, maybe living a gentle, peaceful, contemplative life, growing carrots, having a few goats, you know. Maybe something like that, you know. Gee, this is really corny, you know. (laughs) And I could see the the colourful in which I painted these pictures. So it was too much of a giveaway. It's too obvious, too obvious, too much of a Disneyland thing. To really, why is my mind doing that? You know, you know the, the difficulty in meeting, the boring, the tedious, the routine, the uncomfortable. It's because one's mind is uh, is an effective system. It's all being affected. And it therefore requires certain, it knows, it also remembers. It knows, it kind of flags things. Oh, this is pleasing, this is pleasing, this is pleasing. So it acquires a kind, imagine it's something orbiting like that. You know, I don't know how many times a minute, just getting that signal going. And it creates a kind of pattern. Imagine that signal, this is pleasing, this is pleasing, being repeated on a non-verbal level. Sweet, the tasty, the warm, the sunny, the open, the spacious, the carefree—you know—as a kind of fundamental signal, that which I recognise is that's that's the good bit. 
Uh, and it, this, you can imagine a signal going out like that, orbiting around. Then the mind acquires a kind of shape. It, it gets shaped by that. So if something comes along that doesn't fit into that, we think, ooh, ooh. And then perhaps with a bit of luck, we kind of finally broaden the pattern and go, okay, that's acceptable. That's acceptable. And then maybe even after a while, that's pleasant. That's enjoyable too. We can grow like that. When I was a kid, you know, just certain foods, I decide this is all the only food I can eat. Whereas I think it was egg and fried egg and beans. Everything else is just not acceptable food. Mashed potatoes, complete revulsion to mashed potatoes. I don't know why. But that got logged. took years. <laughs> Maybe a couple of years or so before finally other things became acceptable. You know, kind of mother, if your mother pushes it on you, you just get more resistant. So you grow to accept, well, boiled potatoes and then but it tastes a little bit softer, and then finally, you know, the, the ultimate horror of mashed potatoes became acceptable. Physical exercise. I used to like to sit and read books. Now I don't hardly read books. I used to, now I like physical exercise more, but when I was younger, it was physical exercise, boring, exhausting, waste of time. To actually get through that. If I had an exercise machine here and I'd try and you know, do it, do this exercise on it to keep my heart strong. Like, you know, 15 minutes, you're like having your teeth pulled out, forcing myself to go on this thing and keep going. <laughs> so boring, you know, to watch paint dry. And then just kind of, then realizing actually physically I felt better after doing it. And even then, I still didn't want to do it. Go back, do it again. Physically noting feeling better. Still the next time, don't want to do it. Again and again and again and again. Until that pattern starts to, you know, re-establish itself to, oh, all right, okay, bearable, quite pleasant. Hey, this is nice. You know? That kind of shifting. But of course we have to travel through that piece. At least... Uh, Start to acknowledge cause and effect. That is actually physically this thing does me well and mentally this habit of ill will is something I want to get past because it you know, it makes life miserable, traps me. But we don't always know these things because by and large, uh, you know, we will bear with the uncomfortable, put up with, not mention the difficult. And we will kind of hold back the desirable from the desirable. Maybe even feel guilty about it. But that doesn't, that may be a useful strategy, but it doesn't, it's not the final solution. We had a, a, a monk here many years ago. He's um, exemplary in many ways, a very high standards and you know, one, he'd always contemplate a lot the, the unattractiveness of most everything actually bodies I remember him kind of washing his feet in the 
in the scullery and saying, it's a good job I don't have three, two is bad enough. We really didn't like bodies. I'm good fortune I only have two, two feet, not three. And, you know, you'd be drinking a cup of tea and he'd mention how, how unattractive that was or how greed contaminated the mind. And he'd like to give little ovadas on the loathsomeness of food. You know, you know the bit, uh, nine orifices and the vomit and stuff like that. Yeah, right. Just as you're about to have your gruel in the morning. Just exactly what you wanted to hear. Or he'd do things like just as you're about to eat your gruel, he'd start giving a talk on the Dhamma Pada. So you get this feeling, you know, it's cold, you want to eat your porridge, and somebody's giving this talk, you have to sit down and... And he'd talk about how, watch the attraction to the greed, and then, you know, eventually just watch the aversion to this person. You wanted to kill him. So these, you know, it's amazing how passionate these scenarios can be. You, you can create passion over just a slight tweak of the routines, you know, because we're already at an edge of, of relinquishment and not getting what we want. And then one day he kind of he came, made this confession because he came in. To, uh, his, he made this confession that the day before he'd gone through the. Um, the arms food line in the kitchen and you'd see an after eight mint sitting in the pig bucket you know, where we put the slops for the pigs. Before he knew what he was doing, he got his hand in the pig bucket was fishing this after eight mint out and eating it. And it was like, you know, all the years of doing the unattractiveness of food, once his guard was down, it just... Because he hadn't got used to the experience of greed. He hadn't really understood it. You know, the first step indeed is warding it off. But then you've got to understand it. Otherwise, sooner or later, when your defense is down, you go, you get pulled by it. So you really try not want to look at the, the magnetism of it, the pull of it. So you see, the pull of it is, is actually independent from the sense object. Why we do things like contemplate the unattractiveness of things is not to really say these things are unattractive, but just to dissociate the quality of attraction from the object. There's my, there's that greed nimitta. Sorry, Paul, to call it a nimitta, the sign of it, the the, the overall sign of it. There's that, and there's the object. And the two are actually separate things. If it wasn't that object, it would be something else. And that's, that's the bit that starts to, get one out of sangsara. Sangsaric mind thinks, I'll get that, I'll be okay. And you are, for a little while. And then, well, something else or another one. And then you are okay for a little while. Although it didn't work at all, nobody do it. But you are okay with your, whatever it is, you know, your after eight, your thing. For a while. And then, little itch, another one. The nimitta finds another object to to adopt. That's why we do these practices, not because we've got something against food, you know, or bodies, but in order to understand the nimitta of it. Same thing with aversion. 
and you're going to kind of look into wouldn't it be would it be much better if you know put that one on search engine see what happens comes up much better if you know and then small community so small community better it's only six of us that'd be better single community just me a lot better <laughs> or big community or and people leave here because either because it's too small or too big <laughs> and the people who don't like it when it's big as they leave it gets smaller and smaller and smaller and then people like it and it gets bigger and bigger and then some people leave because it's not big enough they like to be with a lot of other people big, small is it big, is it small I don't know um, you know, so wouldn't it be nice if we look at that and underneath that reasonable assessment is the sense of the disappointment having to put up with and ideally we'd like to feel if it's small, fine if it's big, fine if I'm on my own, fine if I'm with a thousand people, fine you know, it shouldn't be something that triggers off this feeling of having to put up with it so I want to look at that in my mind. Mm-hmm. The experience of greed is a flaring up and, a, and a, a, a swimming, a surging, a flooding, pulling out, a feeling of ill will is often a contracting, also a flooding feeling, flooded with it. One goes dizzy with it. So, you know, you have to come back to the body, breathing in, breathing out, the walking up and down, that kind of basic thing, just to come out of the real trance of it all. And then you start to look at some of these objects. I think it was Ajahn Mahabur who, who is, you know, he said when he was practicing, he'd got so good at uh, visualizing skeletons, he could see a woman and immediately see a skeleton. So he really thought he'd cut through uh, sexual desire. And he thought, I want to really check it out. So I think he spent four days bringing up this image of being bonded to 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 a woman, just to see what his mind would do. And after about four days, he finally got. He finally saw that there was still some sense of desire left. And then you could see you know, that nimitta still resting there, finding a place to hide, and then looking into that, saying this is nothing to do with the object. This is the heart. The heart is still not uh, free. You know, in some ways, very simply speaking, we want to come back to the place of knowing, the place of sati, the place of samadhi, the place of the body, the place of breathing in, breathing out. And also to keep digging the soil over. Is there something here, something else here, behind this reasonable bearing with, or this reasonable, oh well, I'll get one sooner or later,
and the, you know we can come up with a kind of uh, uh, an excuse well surely it doesn't mean you've got to feel everything is great no it's not about that you mean there's no room for improvement no I'm not saying there's no room for improvement there's no need to make you know things more comfortable no I'm not saying that either just to free the heart from this bondage. And again, it's, it's so often the better is just of really uncovering it. Except, so first we start with that uncovering, then, you know, the first step we might say is the honest acceptance of that experience with no if, uh, buts and maybes. No contemplation can occur if we're not facing the object. And to do is to accept that I, you know, every one of us, I'm sure, has this, these nimitters. And we have them towards things we feel often, you know, I have it towards people I like. <laughs> you know? I feel ill will occasionally towards people I like. You know? In situations I've chosen to be in, I can feel this little, oh, if only he didn't do that. You know? Towards people I revere, towards my teachers, I felt ill will. You know? People I highly esteem, I felt ill will. I, I mean, I'm, I'm not fussy. I can feel it around anybody, anything. So when one sees it like that, towards people you respect, like, people you fond of, people who are not really a problem to you, towards oneself. See, this is not, a, because it's so, it scatters over everything. We see this is not a single object. This is a something in the heart. Accept, accept the presence of that without guilt, shame, denial, projection. This is a place, monasteries are places to go crazy in peace. This is a place to feel miserable in peace. To feel one's ill will with clarity. One's greed with honesty. And sometimes it's really just that, actually. A sense of humility. And uh, there's something about the occasion of truthfulness with oneself that gives us a kind of a sense of stability, empathy. Here, yes, it's true. And in that we stop the delusion, the blustering and the if only and the she shouldn't and who does he think he is and stuff going on. And there's the, the ground of clarity from which in the ground of clarity, some banya, some discernment, some recognizing this is not an object, this is not my, neither an object nor is it a subject. It's not myself, it's not him, it's not her, it's not me. It's just this traveling nimitta, that, like a virus that infects us all. And, you know, there are, maybe that's enough. Maybe that's enough.
maybe doing too much about it can actually kind of cloud the issue. Surely sometimes it's good to rem- to recognize, to remember, you know, uh, the good aspects of when when our ill will really starts to get solid around someone. It's, no, wait a minute, you know, this person keeps precepts, he doesn't kill people, you know, I mean, it's not that, a lot of worse than this. Uh, or you feel the fascination, the infatuation, oh, come on, wait a minute, you know. <laughs> uh, just to start to see the alternatives. we use these reflections so we're not justifying we're not adding to it we're keeping it within the boundary you want to you know dig some stuff up what we you know we ask the questions what would we like if this was to things one loves wouldn't we like if this wasn't here we didn't have a morning cuppa didn't have my laptop to play with, didn't have my hut in the woods, didn't have my whatever it is. Mm. To the things people we have ill will for, what would it like if they were suffering? They're in pain. It's dying. Would your heart relent then? Maybe that's what's happening to all of us already. Can we see that in each other? Mm. So these are kind of standard, what they call patikula, reversing, going against the trend, the dominant trend. There's recollections. So you keep coming back to the nimitta of ill, ill will or greed. Softening, finding your center, feeling steady, breathing in, breathing out, and then just softening some of that intensity of it, the energy of it. The energy of it is this kind of flooding, rushing out, flooding, retracting, just softening that, soothing that, calming that. And always be prepared to looking out for things that contradict that. really nice to see the unattractive aspects of the things one's attracted to. To see the enjoyable, praiseworthy aspects of the things one is averse to. And one of the monks, he kept uh, uh, his own feces in a jar for three months so he could look at it every day. <laughs> Just... No, I mean, people do <laughs> to get over the sense of disgust. That's something that everybody has. Normal part of bodily process. If we didn't, you know, defecate every day, we'd be in trouble. And yet, you know, how averse and disgusted one can feel at such a fundamental process. Mm. 
You contemplate it. This poor little stuff does not do me any harm. So, you know, we practice with that. This really is, uh, these are signs of the, the kind of initiative we can take. Human relationships, obviously there's people you feel more at ease with or more affinities with, more comfortable with than others. That's just the karma. And the people you don't feel that with, just, mm-hmm. well, at least let's not make ill will about that. Just recognize not the same wavelength. May she be well, may he be well, may they be well. Mm-hmm. Don't need to do any more of that stuff. For any reason at all. Remember the bandits? Is this person sawing my legs off? No. If they were, still, one should practice goodwill. <laughs> the Buddha said to Venwasari Put, if you can see, you can imagine something like a, you know, a pond covered with slime, and you could just see enough clear water, that's the way you look at a person who you feel really disgusting. You see the one little patch of clarity in them. And if you just see as, as much goodness as perhaps the water that would rest in the imprint of a calf's hoof in the mud, a cow's hoof in the mud, if you could see that much goodness in them, just the amount that would be, if it was water, it would fill the imprint of a cow's hoof in the mud. Then focus on that. You know, Don't let this sign capture your heart. This is the way we practice. And towards ourselves. If one has kept five precepts, sadhu, you know, people become stream enterers keeping those five precepts. The bastions, the aspect of the sangha, keeping the, keeping the five precepts. You keep eight, you know, this. These are things to not think and Bring to the mind. When something in us doesn't want to keep any precepts, just get what I want, get rid of what I don't want, that kind of reptilian instinct is part of what we have somewhere there. A lot of the time we're not operating on that, but it's one of the nerves. And for Nibbana, you want to, in your time, Get down to these nerve endings, clear them out, because they will not, you will not be completed until you have done so. Mm.